Welcome to episode 25 of Under Further Review with Burke and Jen. I'm Burke. I'm Jen. And uh, excited to be back with you after a uh, week off. We do hope you enjoyed our lost episode about El Chapo. Um, <laughs> update on that. I think he's being extradited to the United States. Like he's here. Soon. Oh, I he's here, he was here I thought he was here. I wonder what Sean Penn's feelings on that are. That I have not seen um, any articles linking their two names together recently. But yeah, I think he's here. I don't think El Chapo was like real happy with Sean Penn after that interview situation. Am I misremembering that? No, I I think it's fair. I mean, especially given the fallout after everything that happened. So I don't, as we said in the, in our Lost from the Archives podcast, I don't think he blamed Sean Penn for leading him to being captured, but I'm sure like he's probably not going to get a Christmas card. That's fair. Um, Totally. I mean, it's vaguely related, but um, I did recently read a book called Wolf Boys that is about... um, kids from El Paso, Texas, who acted as uh, enforcers for some of the Mexican cartels. And El Chapo was mentioned in that book. It's a pretty good book if anyone's looking to um, read a story about uh, two kids who got caught up in the Mexican drug wars. Um, As soon as you said that, I thought of the, is it the four brothers who lived in that apartment in Brooklyn who never went outside and made movies? What are they called? Oh, yeah, the wolf pack, I think. Oh, the wolf pack. There were, like, six of them. (laughs) So weird, that whole situation. That's that's what I went to. I'm like, how are you going to tie this together? And then I realized, totally different topic. Um, I think that documentary might may still be available on Netflix. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it was very interesting. They did some pretty good uh, remakes of Tarantino films. Um, But I I know this is, like, totally unrelated, although I guess it's a legal issue. Like, how do you keep your kids locked up in an apartment for years and years and years? Um, I also don't understand how they pulled that off in Brooklyn. Like, you see this happening. I think I've heard stories about people who are, like, isolationists Uh um, in the middle of the woods. Yes, but Uh, you're in the middle of a very large metropolitan area. Yeah, and and I also don't understand. I don't know that the mom worked outside of the home, and I can't figure—I can't remember what the dad's job was, but how the hell they— afforded this like giant apartment in new york um as a former resident of new york oh, city uh i think it probably could depend on when they per- like when they moved into their that's apartment probably sure it could have been rent controlled yes because as a resident of the city of san francisco the only reason why my parents were able to buy a house here was because they bought it in the 1970s oh, sure when it wasn't crazy so um so that might be yeah yeah um yeah. So okay, Wolf Pack for <laughs> Wolf Pack for the documentary, Wolf Boys for the book on um, enforcers for the drug trade between uh, the United States and Mexico. Yes. Um, so we're off to a great start to our for our twenty fifth pod. Yes. So with that, um, the it seems like the uh, NFL players have been pretty quiet recently. So we've got a lot of NBA content yes. today. Yes. So we are in the like middle of the conference finals, and there's been a lot of NBA news. Um, some related to actual games and some not, but um, maybe I'll start with the one that's probably not near and dear to my heart. It's actually quite laughable, but a Spurs fan and a man who owns a memorabilia business sued Zaza Pachulia and the Golden State Warriors for a what they say is a dangerous closeout on Kawhi Leonard during Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals. And if you recall, this happened on Mother's Day, but... Basically, the Spurs were blowing out the Warriors. They were up by like 20, 25, um, even after the half, I think maybe it gotten up to like 28 at one point. But after Kawhi basically went up for a shot, he landed on Zaza Pachulia's foot, um, spraining his ankle again, which this was the same ankle he had sprained during the um, Rockets Spurs series. So. Pretty much after Kawhi went out, like, you know, the Warriors came back and they won by two. Um, And this is after game three, Kawhi hasn't been back in the lineup for the Spurs. And there's no denying that he is the Spurs' best player Um, in any event. So there were some Spurs fans who were really pissed off at Zaza Pachulia for this, what they call, like, dangerous, egregious move. Um, So they sued. And they also went for an injunction. The judge denied the TRO. Um, but they're basically saying that um, that this was 
tortious interference with their ability to resell or their value of their season tickets and the memorabilia guy's uh, beef is that it's tortious interference with his business advantage because now like for some tortured rationale like their Spurs jerseys of players is somehow less valuable because the Spurs might go out in the Western Conference Finals. Um, it's pretty ridiculous. They're seeking about $73,000 in damages. Um, the complaint is signed the, at the signature block of the complaint. It's signed Go Spurs Go with three exclamation points, which super legal, uh, super professional. Well, and according to the Washington Post, it actually has five. Oh, it's five exclamation points? Five exclamation points. Oh, I saw the exclamations. I didn't really, I looked at like it was maybe three. They may have overdone it in the, in the Post story. <laughs> Um, they also, uh, as part of the lawsuit, cite to Greg Popovich, coach of the Spurs, um, yes. saying that Pachulia's two-step lead-with-your-foot closeout is dangerous and unsportsmanlike, and that this particular individual has a history of that kind of action. Yes. So he specifically cited to, he said, you know, ask his new teammate David West what he did to him when David West was on the Spurs and Pachulia was on the Dallas Mavericks. Um, just for a point of reference, this closeout move, um, you know, people say that it is a very dangerous move. I thought I had read somewhere that it had been outlawed or it's an illegal move, but um, Pachulia has not been fined or punished by the NBA. Nope. This closeout move happens actually quite frequently. It happened in the Boston Washington Wizards game. Al Horford did this to, I can't remember who he did this to, but Al Horford closed out someone and that resulted in an ankle sprain. And LaMarcus Aldridge did this to Kevin Durant in game two. No one said a peep. And I don't believe any Golden State Warrior fan is suing the Spurs for this. I mean, maybe there's a, that's an opportunity for you to step in. Although he's playing, he's Durant's playing. playing mm -hmm. So um, not only have the Spurs, I realize this is not legal, but it's funny. Um, the Spurs fans have not only been filing lawsuits against Zaza and the Golden State Warriors, but have also really been coming after him on um, Instagram and Twitter. Um, one Twitter user, Patrick White, whose handle is PistolPat3, um, commented, I hope you step on a Lego. <laughs> and as someone who stepped on Legos, yeah, it hurts like a son of a bitch. That's right. It is very, very painful. Um, which probably it hurt more when Kawhi Leonard stepped on Zaza and yeah. jacked up his ankle. But. So I'm sort of wondering though, like would, I mean, obviously, I mean, I saw it and obviously yeah. Kawhi's hurt and I don't question that at all, but I wonder if he would be hurt as badly if he had not sprained his ankle, like, you know, in the series before, which was only a couple of game, like a couple of days prior. So doesn't the eggshell plaintiff theory apply here? That <laughs> like you take your victims as you find them. Yes, I, no, I totally agree. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, I wonder. I don't know. I've um, in my uh, short-lived, really um, undignified or uh, athletic career, I hurt my ankle playing basketball in middle school, and like it's never, it, it's never right again. <laughs> and I didn't have a professional team like helping me out, but mm -hmm. it's. I feel like ankles, those ligaments, like nothing. Even if you've got. Uh, professional people helping you mm -hmm. it does seem like folks who have ankle injuries yes they constantly read about them having mm -hmm. ankle injuries so um, maybe if he had had time to heal from the first one but uh, it's yeah. i mean setting aside uh that i am a warriors fan now living out here um Kawhi Leonard is such a talent so it'd be sad if this mm -hmm. now becomes like a chronic thing um, yeah and hopefully it's just that he just needs some time to get right and obviously time is not what the spurs have Right now, oh. I have always had tremendous respect for Greg Popovich and the Spurs. I mean, year in, year in, year out, regardless of who is playing, he puts together a team, not like a group of individuals, but an actual team. Yeah. And um, I really like Kawhi Leonard. He's he seems like a, a really interesting individual, yes. even though he says like almost nothing. nothing. Um, when asked why Leonard did not think that the um, act was intentional. Um, on Pachulia's part, but as Greg Popovich said, haven't you ever heard of manslaughter? You don't need intention to, <laughs> to do dangerous things, which I'm like, yeah, that's fair. I wish we could have Greg Popovich as a, a guest here, although I guess I shouldn't say that because the last time we did, our, our prospective guest killed himself <laughs> after. Yes, um, yes, that's right. Um, but, you know, I, this is an interesting idea about, I realize it's fans here, not, you know, one player um, suing another one, but like when you take um, uh, what happens 
in a sports arena on the court or, mm -hmm. um, you know, like on the ice in hockey or something, and then take it to the legal uh, arena. It seems like, and I hate using the slippery slope term or argument, oh. but like where, at what point, you know, do we draw a line that you, you know, should be holding people accountable outside of a sport? Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, what kind of assumed risk do you take on being a participant in these games? Um, again, it's obviously different because it's not a fan or it is a fan here, not one player suing another one, but um, like what, where's the line, right? Mm -hmm. What if Kawhi Leonard thought he did it on purpose and wanted to file a lawsuit against him? Yeah, I mean, and honest, and obviously we don't know what are in the player contracts about like the risks sure. that you assume, but I mean, just in like an ordinary course of business, like if you are playing hockey or playing football, you know, yeah. there is a certain degree of risk that you do assume and you're, and you're right, it's like acts that go sort of beyond the boundaries of what would be like ordinary risks. Um, you know, the idea that this lawsuit has been filed is, it actually kind of galls me that like people it are going like to be- seems like a real waste of mm -hmm. court resources. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but there was a pretty famous case involving hockey players. Um, it was, God, probably at this point, 10, 15 years ago, um, Steve Moore, who played for the Colorado Avalanche at the time, sued Todd Bertuzzi, who oh, I do remember this for the Vancouver Canucks, along with the coach and the team, um, because he had asserted, um, basically, Steve Moore was kind of a scrub for the Colorado Avalanche. He was playing in a game against the Canucks injured the Canucks I think he was the captain at the time Marcus Nasland and then the next game where the Canucks and Avalanche played Todd Bertuzzi you can see him in the video stalking Steve Moore down the ice and then cross-checking to the back of the head and, like smashed his face into the ice Steve Moore's neck was broken he has never played hockey again um I my understanding is that he has a real hard time living any kind of normal life. Oh. This was a guy who went to Harvard. So um, his lawsuit, though, was based on this assertion that the coach for the for the Vancouver Canucks at the time, Mark Crawford, basically put a bounty on his head during um, sort of lead up to mm -hmm. the game. And so it went beyond just the normal kind of physical violence that takes place in a hockey game mm -hmm. to something that was um, a lot more severe. So, you know, applying that idea or standard, um, what happened to Kawhi, I don't think could give rise to um, any kind of uh, action outside mm -hmm. of what the NBA may or may not choose to do. Um, and sorry, if you can hear noise in the background, it is either the traffic outside my apartment or my dog who is breathing heavily right by the, um, the recorder. So... Um, everybody say hi to Rufio. Hi, Rufio. <laughs> um, but actually, that actually leads us into our second story um, pretty well because it is kind of about bounties. Um, so it's NBA related as well. But so Moses Malone Jr., uh, some time ago, he posted on Facebook that James Harden's summer camp uh, for basketball, you know, playing youths. Uh, it, the fact that school for kids who don't read good. Sorry. <laughs> um, James Harden was charging two hundred and fifty dollars for his basketball camp, and so Moses Malone Jr. said basically it was a huge ripoff for these kids. If it's meant for inner city youth, they're not going to be able to afford to go. And um, you know, so he made this you know kind of like a Facebook post diatribe about it. Um, and shortly thereafter, Moses Malone was assaulted and beaten up outside of a Houston area strip club. I believe it was uh, Five Live. It's the V, but I'm assuming it's Five Live. It could be V Live, but that just sounds like a stupid name. He was And really gross. Yeah, exactly. That was the other <laughs> thought that I had, but it's a strip club, so maybe it's supposed to be gross. Um, he was beaten up. Uh, he, jewelry was stolen. Uh, four men were arrested for this, including the um, security guard for the strip club. But uh, Moses Malone Jr., who was the son of Moses Malone Sr., obviously a very famous NBA basketball player, amended his complaint recently to add James Harden. And his assertion, he alleges that James Harden paid um, the security guard at the club $20,000 to beat him up. So he put a bounty on his head. <laughs> use that money to let the kids go to his basketball camp for free. Mm -hmm. um, he is seeking about a million dollars in um, emotional distress. Um, so he, according to, according to Moses Malone Jr., he has 
uh, text messages and other evidence that point to um, basically Harden being the instigator behind the uh, behind the assault because he was so pissed off that someone had the temerity to call him out for his $250 uh, basketball camp and it turns out that the camp is only two days long not a week and it's only three hours a day so you're paying oh my god yeah that is a ripoff <laughs> don't be this up james harden but seriously mm -hmm. um so the attorney who is representing um james harden is rusty harden <laughs> rusty harden no relation they also spell it differently but he um is a pretty famous attorney he represented arthur anderson the accounting firm involved in the enron scandal um for our purposes he more famously represented roger clemens yes. <laughs> in his perjury case um he also represented adrian peterson when he was accused of beating the shit out of his son did he also represent tom brady i don't know he is not listed uh -oh. in um in uh uh Rusty Harden's Wikipedia oh, page. I would imagine that would be like line number one, but uh, maybe because he's based out of Texas. Oh, maybe. But Adrian Peterson, I guess he lives there, but even yeah. though he plays. Um, I think I want to say Tom Brady's attorneys were barred in New York. So, oh. um, but Rusty, who I gotta say in his comments, um, used an inappropriate apostrophe in spelling Moses. Moses's name, but other than that, you know, he's a <laughs> pretty well-known, um, mm -hmm. very successful attorney. So it should be um, interesting to see how this works out. Harden is Rusty Harden is asserting that uh, Moses Malone Jr. is just looking for a deep pocket to come yeah. after, and that's why he's included James Harden, which is um, not atypical, I think, of lawsuits. Mm -hmm. um, so Moses we'll Malone see. Jr is uh, part of his story is that while he was getting the shit kicked out of him, like the men who were kicking the shit out of him were like basically screaming about like his stupid Facebook posts. Oh, so that's why he thinks there's a link. Well, that's one of the reasons why he thinks there's a link. I mean, what they, have these people never watched MacGyver? Like you don't <laughs> give up your whole plan until the plan has been completed. Um, he apparently he was wearing like $15,000 worth of jewelry when it was that was stolen from him at the mm -hmm. club um yeah 250 dollars is a lot of money to go to like a half a day basketball camp mm -hmm. for two days for two days yeah uh, so i i'm not sympathetic to moses malone jr but i can certainly see his point about um calling out mr harden's basketball camp and you know and i don't know maybe there were scholarships for kids and things like that and if it was something where you could afford the 250 dollars then obviously there's like a it. fee waiver yeah or something, something. Mm -hmm. Um, so those are our NBA stories um, that are sort of knocking about. I mean, both of them seem like kind of frivolous lawsuits, but... Yes, uh, but that has never stopped anyone from filing a lawsuit no. in this country. So, um, so yeah, uh, we'll keep you updated if we get any more news on either one of those. Yes, I'm, I'm very curious as to when the judge will dismiss the Spurs fans' um, suit. But, because I mean, if you, I mean, you could, you could allege that for almost any injury to your team whether you're in the playoffs or not because well, as soon as your star player goes out yeah of course your your value in your seats diminish well and does this open up uh door for like fans to file suit against greg popovich when he rests players oh, absolutely. like he got there was a lot of controversy a couple years ago when they would rest mm -hmm. um they Tim did it, Duncan yeah they did it time. again this year too and i know like steve kerr rested all of the starters for one game you know lebron was out yeah. for like just rested for yeah, two weeks exactly he was hanging out in miami with the banana boat crew but nice. yes LeBron. yeah so i wonder I mean... if his fake hairline was really sweating <laughs> off in miami because i feel like he started the fake hairline in earnest when he moved back to Cleveland. I wonder oh. if the humidity and sweat had something to do with that. I would, yeah. I mean, I could see that because as soon as you're sweating, doesn't like the spray on, Krylon stuff like start to slide? But that was in my experience with fake tans, so I would assume <laughs> the same thing happens with fake hair. Please uh, don't sue us, LeBron. <laughs> we're not saying anything mean about his family, so I feel like. No, yeah, that's very true. We're not pulling a ball here. LeVar well, Ball seems like a real nightmare. Again, nothing to do with the law, but just a. Commentary. Well, I don't know. I mean, it totally because well, he did sort of threaten the woman on Fox Sports One. I guess uh, that's true. Yeah. Oh, well, it's the sounds of living in a city. <laughs> uh, Beta Breakers is this weekend. I don't know if that's where the police are running off to. For um, those of you who aren't from San Francisco or have not lived out here, Beta Breakers is a 
road race that happens every May where they run from the bay to the ocean, the breakers, the breakers. Um, through Golden Gate Park. Um, and it's pretty debaucherous. Yeah, there's the group in the front who actually are running yeah. to win a BMW, I think, is normally the prize at yes. the end. And those are usually won by, like, serious runners. It's only, like, 7.9 miles. It's not yeah, it's a, a 12K, so oh, it's okay. a little over 7 miles. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then the rest of the people who run afterwards are people in costumes or people not wearing clothes or people who are very drunk and have been drinking since, like, 6 in the morning. Um, so... Yeah, there very well could be something happening. And there's usually a big party at the beach afterwards, you know, when you get your medal. And, and like that. I, I've run it in previous years. And one year there was a group of ladies who were, I think, raising money for colon cancer awareness. And they dressed up as a colon. <laughs> like each one of them or just no, all of them? No, oh, they connected themselves to look like a giant pink tube. It yeah. was, I was like, what is this? And they explained to me what they were doing. It's it was cool. gross and hilarious. It was <laughs> Which is really, I think, the best description of beta breakers. Yeah, no, that's that's probably pretty accurate. Um, so, uh, oh, LeVar Ball and his interview on, is it Fox Sports 1? And yes. one of the um, panel members had the, had the gall to ask him about his shoe sales. And he pretty much snapped and kind of threatened her and dismissed her. It was pretty, it was pretty disgusting. Um. Which really is disappointing because I thought it was hilarious when he said the only thing that Jason Whitlock is qualified to comment on is snacks. <laughs> We're not endorsing fat Jamie. <laughs> no, no. Mostly just endorsing um, insulting Jason Whitlock because he's <laughs> kind of horrible. But uh, but he's horrible regardless of how much he weighs. Anyway, it made me giggle, but LeVar Ball is a terrible person also, so I don't know who wins, who wins that, that battle. Sometimes um, there are no winners, folks. But apparently Christine Leahy, who yeah, is the woman, who, the Fox Sports 1 host, who um, had the confrontation with LeVar Ball, is now getting death threats because that's what it's like being a woman in sports media. Um, and she has said that nobody should have him on because he's just terrible. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so yeah, I feel like it's only going to get worse once um, Alonzo gets into the NBA. Well, yes, and he has two other sons in waiting. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's not he is going to be a fixture for a very long time, unfortunately. Do they have a mother who could like try and shut Lavar up? They do have a mother. I realize that's a really stereotypical thing to say about a heterosexual marriage, but like still, come on. They do have a mother. <laughs> She's very involved in their basketball lives, the three sons. Um, but I don't. She's I, just not as loud. As yeah, he is, I guess I not. Guess. I don't recall ever seeing her on a show or anything or being interviewed. Unlike you know maybe like Steph Curry's mom, who she's yeah. very visible at games and things like that. But I didn't watch a lot of UCLA games either. So no, I feel like, and it does seem like all of the coverage they have of um, of um, Lonzo Ball it's always focused on his dad. Um, he's he's the one who probably talks the loudest. Probably. Talks the most, yeah. Um, and apparently, I guess Christine Leahy was on with Jason Whitlock, um, who asked her whether she really did accuse Lamar Ball of child abuse, which I think is what Lamar Ball has said he uh, was, that's what made him so angry. She has denied that she ever said that. Um, I haven't watched the interview. I've read like excerpts from it, but I thought it was mostly focused on like his shoe sales or what he or his shoe branding idea and that stuff but I mean I didn't watch the whole thing and I didn't listen to the whole thing so you know there might have been some other comments made earlier on that I'm just not aware of but um yeah anyways we that was way off topic yeah um, free Lonzo <laughs> um so for our second big story of the podcast I think we are going to turn to Richard Simmons Yes, so um, Richard Simmons has been in the news quite a bit recently. Um, I think initially tied to uh, the missing Richard Simmons podcast, uh, which the stated purpose of which was to try and find Richard Simmons, who had gone into hiding. Um, well, it appeared that he went into hiding. He just said he wanted to take a break. All of his public statements, to the extent he's had them, were that he was just taking a break from mm -hmm. his public life. Um, so the uh, podcast had a pretty unsatisfying ending. It did. Uh, and it also made you feel a little creepy listening to it. Yeah, because, like, the, the guy who um, 
uh, hosted the podcast, like, left notes outside of Richard Simmons' house, like, tried to get inside to see him. Mm-hmm. Um, Would try to get to him through friends or people who worked with Richard Simmons. And, I mean, and I get it, because it's an angle to a podcast, obviously, and, you know, you got to shoot your shot, right? But at the same time, like, if Richard Simmons has said, hey, I kind of want to be left alone, at some point you just have to respect the fact that a man wants to be left alone. Right. right? And they did um, talk to his brother, mm-hmm. who lives, I believe, lives in New Orleans, so is like, not geographically separated from Richard, and he confirmed, he's like, listen, he's just trying to live his life, mm-hmm. he's fine, I talk to him, you know, once a week, um, so... In any event, it Richard Simmons uh, appears to be doing... He's not being held captive by his housekeeper, which has been an allegation thrown out by his former um, assistant, I believe, a guy by the name of uh, Mauro Oliveira, who was interviewed on the podcast. Um, and Richard Simmons, this week, filed a lawsuit against Mauro. And the National Enquirer and Radar Online. Saying that he had been blackmailed, extorted, and stalked by Mr. Olvera, um, and that uh, he further retreated from the spotlight because of Olvera's extortion. Mm-hmm. Um, he apparently, Olvera isn't named as a defendant in the lawsuit, it's focused more so on the Enquirer and Radar Online as opposed to. Um, Mr. Olvera, likely because he does not have any money to pay Mr. Simmons. So the lawsuit against the National Enquirer is because probably in the last year, it seems like, the National Enquirer has been printing, publicating stories that the reason why Richard Simmons is in hiding is because he's transitioning. And they had photos of Richard Simmons um, in drag, but it's understood that these photos are old and he made it a habit, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but he dressed in drag regularly, right. either for entertainment or because he wanted to, whatever reason. But there, I don't know that anybody thought that Richard Simmons in drag was an oddity or you know something. So they pr- were printing these older photos of him in drag, and then essentially alleging that he was in transition, which is why he had been missing for so long. Um, so there, so Richard Simmons is suing them for libel. Um, and defamation. Right, and he is saying that it was in part because of what Olvera, the extortion and mm-hmm. stalking of him, gave rise to these stories that were printed in the National Enquirer and Radar Online. Yeah, because Olvera was selling these stories to, to the National Enquirer. So um, I think maybe we talked about this not the last time we spoke. Maybe we were talking about the differences between libel and um, slander, and one has to be published, and one is like a verbal statement. Um, sort of the interesting twist to this is the the libel comes like along with libel because he's a public figure. You have to show, or Richard Simmons has to show that the National Enquirer knew that what they were printing was false, and they printed it with like reckless disregard or actual malice. Um, and what I understand from a Hollywood Reporter article is that. Every story that the National Enquirer buys from a source or every piece of information that the National Enquirer buys from a source, they make the source sign an affidavit saying that I, this is true to the best of my knowledge oh. so that like you're not printing it with reckless disregard for the truth because you someone has sworn in a sworn statement that it's true, that they think it is to be true. So And typically the idea being that people wouldn't sign a sworn statement if they know that they're lying. Exactly, because I would imagine that you would be punished under like perjury right. rules. Right. Or the National Enquirer if they lost this lawsuit could then go after Mr. <laughs> Oliveira for their mm-hmm. losses. So so that's like that's one interesting piece of like sort of the the idea of libel. But then the other the other twist, or not actually the twist, the other facet to libel is that the statement has to be defamatory. So does this, is the statement likely to damage your reputation? And um, I don't know. I think that maybe a number of years ago, the idea that a famous person is transitioning genders or is you know somewhere along your gender spectrum might have been something that would have been damaging to your reputation, but I don't know that maybe in today's day and age that it is, has the same sort of stigma or taboo associated with it. And it's also Richard Simmons, 
right? He's a highly flamboyant character. And again, I don't mean that pejoratively. I actually mean the dictionary definition of flamboyant. Yeah. Um, I don't know that... It's damaging to his reputation. Mm -hmm. And he, I I believe, whether in the lawsuit or in statements, you know, surrounding the lawsuit, it said, like, he, you know, supports the trans community and Mm -hmm. it's, it's not meant... His filing this lawsuit is not meant to say that there's anything wrong with being trans, mm-hmm. but I think, Jen, to your point, it, doesn't that kind of defeat his suit? I guess it would depend on, I mean, he filed the lawsuit in Los Angeles, so, you know, it might depend. I think there are places in this country where it is still That's very true. Uh, harmful to your reputation to be a trans person. Um, I don't know that LA would be one of those places, um, or if I, that's even, mm-hmm. how do they, I guess, how do you measure where his reputation is evaluated? Like the general public, I think that's typically the standard mm-hmm. that's like a reasonable, used. yeah, the reasonable person or whatever. Or within the community mm-hmm. that he is a member of, so. Yeah, because um, I mean, I, if I were to say something that was damaging to his reputation, those bejeweled tank tops were like deeply <laughs> damaging to yeah, those were cute. <laughs> <laughs> his reputation. But I mean, I think he's really trying to focus more on the false light that it's like the emotional distress yeah. that comes with basically your privacy being invaded, whether he's transitioning or not, but he just wanted to be, it seems yeah. like he left the spotlight cause he wanted to be left the hell alone. Mm-hmm. And the national Enquirer, through Mr. Olvera has made that impossible. Um, yeah. and this is, it sounds like this is his avenue to do something about it. Um, mm-hmm. whether he's ultimately successful or not, I guess remains to be seen, but, um, yeah. Cause I can't think of another legal theory except harassment maybe, but yeah, but I don't know if you're like a a public figure that you can really, um, sort of allege that. Uh, so the Hollywood reporter article that I read who did a pretty extensive story on this basically likened this lawsuit to, uh, lawsuits probably in the early two thousands or the 1990s where the national Enquirer would basically out people or try to out people. Um, and those, uh, according to the Hollywood reporter article had like mixed results, whether or not mm-hmm. it actually is damaging to your reputation. Right. Um, Tom Cruise was able to successfully sue the National Enquirer, not because they said he was gay, but because they said he was gay and he acted in pornos. Um, oh. Yeah, so but that's the only, that was the only case that they really sort of cited and, and discussed as analogous to um, the Richard Simmons thing. Huh. Yeah. I don't know, but I thought it was like... For a man who wants to disappear, he just seems to be in the in the media a lot, and not by any fault of his own. But I think that there's probably people have a fascination with him because he has sort of disappeared. Yeah, and what's I thought was kind of interesting is that another allegation that has been made about why Richard Simmons disappeared is that he gained a ton of weight and mm. is just oh. very overweight and doesn't want to be seen in public like that. I would think that would be a better, maybe the National Enquirer hasn't published a lot of stories on that, so it didn't give him an opportunity to um, file a lawsuit, but I would think given the nature of his work, mm-hmm. that would have been a, a good angle to go oh, after yeah. them from to say like, not that saying that being overweight is damaging to everyone's reputation, but, but given that I'm a fitness his, professional, yes. mm-hmm. um, it's very harmful to me. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't... Just his screechy voice and just remembering watching him on TV growing up and sweating to the oldies and all of that, it just... It was not a... He was an interesting character. Mm -hmm. Um, I never felt compelled to get up and dance around. But he helped a lot of people, which is, I mean, pretty remarkable and I think probably exhausting. Yes. Well, then that was probably the most enlightening part of the Finding Richard Simmons podcast was just how deeply involved he got into people's lives who either needed help or he felt that he needed to help them. Um, he was very, it was a very personal thing to him. Yeah. And that was, that was, it was nice. I mean, I just sort of always thought of him as some sort of caricature, but you know, right. that was a very like humanizing thing to me. Yeah. The, I think they, didn't they do a story about a cruise he did where he like really. Um, I don't remember the cruise mm. one. I kind of remember like people in, I, I don't want to people in the Midwest, like a woman who basically was going to people kill herself. People write him letters, and, yeah, yeah. Letters. and he would call them, and 
Yeah, so I mean, I don't know if people are interested in listening to that side of him. Um, I would just say, you know, it is a, it's an interesting podcast, but it did make me feel a little squicky. There are some ethical <laughs> concerns. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think the, the host, I believe his name is Dan Taberski. Mm-hmm. He used to go to Richard Simmons exercise classes mm-hmm. and that Slimmons. Slimmons. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how he got ostensibly how he became interested in this story was that mm-hmm. he'd been going to these classes and then all of a sudden Richard disappeared. Yeah. He was no longer teaching them. The fact that he was still teaching them was pretty amazing to me because Obviously, he's a fairly famous person, and you know he's still out there teaching his what, like ten a.m. Right. jazzercise class or whatever. And I think he, you couldn't see into the studio to like protect people's privacy and I guess keep the paparazzi away. I don't no. know, um, but there was some modicum of privacy with the studio. But still, yeah, the mm-hmm. fact that he was teaching yeah. classes there. Um, that's pretty cool. Every day. It was pretty intense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those are our main stories for the week. Um, I think we'll slide into our three-minute warning. Yes. So very quickly, I guess this is sort of three-minute warning slash reality TV stoop. Um, <laughs> Phaedra Parks of the um, lying about her castmate on the real Housewives of Atlanta um, wanting to drug and rape, rape. another castmate in her sex dungeon. <laughs> yes. um, she's not coming back to the show. Uh yeah, it was just too much. So Phaedra, I did though watch the fourth episode, the fourth part, part. of the reunion, mm-hmm. and Phaedra admitted that she didn't have the knowledge firsthand that this had happened, and it just like heard it from someone else. And then Portia um, Williams, who was the would-be victim of this totally made-up story, um, was like, "You told me that you heard it firsthand. Like she said, Candy oh. said it mm-hmm. to you." So then Portia was very upset and like crying about how like you made me look like an asshole all season because I was running around saying this because I thought it was from, from Candy, yeah. mm-hmm. like right from Candy to Portia. And it turned out that was not, excuse me, right from Candy to Phaedra. Turned out that was not true. Um, so Frick and Frack are temporarily <laughs> broken up and Phaedra will not be on the show next season. Yeah, I was going to ask, is there any sort of like, do you think there's any legal fallout from the fact that she's not being asked back or? You know, I think her contract was up, so I don't know if there was a breach of contract situation here. I mean, I think you can always, a lot of these contracts, there's a way to get out of them. Um, Whether Candy Burris files a lawsuit against Mm -hmm. her since she basically admitted that she didn't know what the hell she was talking about and accused her of being a rapist on national TV multiple times. that would definitely be defamatory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it's harmful to your reputation for somebody to say you yeah. are going to rape your friend. And I think that is that like a libel per se or a slander per se? Because you would think so. Yeah, so there are a couple of classes of libel or slander that are automatically assumed to be damaging to your reputation. One I remember very clearly is whether or not you had a sexually transmitted disease. But I'm assuming that rapist is probably like up there in the category of per se. Like I would think you don't so. Have to, you don't have to show how it is damaging. It just is assumed damaging. And it also turns out, so Phaedra also made up a story about Candy versus husband, Todd, whose last name I can't remember right now. Um, the Todd went to New York and was going by the name Marvin and trying to pick up women. I, the Marvin thing is just phenomenal um if you're gonna pick a fake name would you really pick marvin but he was trying to pick up women in new york um turns out that was a lie too and i don't know i mean they live in georgia i feel like georgia might have some of those weird antiquated statutes about like loss of consortium and interfering with somebody's mm -hmm. marriage so i think it'd go after her interesting for that too i don't know let us know if that that happens i definitely will um kim zolciak beerman who is married to a former atlanta falcons player will likely be coming back to the show next season um nothing else to say about her except she has had a lot of plastic surgery done and it's disturbing to me but that's a just a personal that's a uh, aside yeah. yeah um and her kid did get attacked by a dog a few oh that's right weeks ago yeah. but i don't know that she's taken any legal action about that it wasn't clear from the news stories that i read that it was like not her dog mm-hmm. or who the dog belonged to mm-hmm. um but i believe her son uh i think it was kj all of her kids with Corey Bierman have K names. Um, so I believe it was the oldest of their children got bit in the face by a dog. But I think he's fine now. Oh, well, that's good. But if there is a lawsuit that comes out of that, we will definitely <laughs> let you know. On the reality stoop. Um, so not so much reality stoop, but, um, you know, sort of the 
seedy underbelly of estate planning, I guess. Would yes. Be, um, the thicks are in, I hate to say it, in the thick of it again. Um, so Alan Thick, as I think we may have touched on briefly, or maybe Genevieve and I were just talking about this offline. Alan Thick, famed dad from Growing Pains, died of a heart attack while playing. We did talk about this. Oh, yes, we did. Yes, we did. Playing ice hockey with his youngest son um, a month or so ago. Or was it longer? It was longer than that ago. I'm going to say it was longer than that ago because the Paula Patton Robin Thick uh, custody stuff happened, and that was after his death. Oh, right? you're right. Mm -hmm. I forgot about that connection. There's just so much going on with Robin <laughs> Thick. Um, so recently, um, with settling uh, Alan Thick's estate, Robin Thick and his brother Brennan Thick have filed a lawsuit um, against Tanya Thick, Alan Thick's I think third wife. Um, not their mother, um, asking to enforce a um, uh, prenuptial agreement that um, Tanya Thick and Alan Thick entered into prior to their marriage in 2005. Um, part of that, I, I my understanding is the disputed part of the prenuptial agreement is there was a ranch property outside of LA that Alan Thick had left to his two sons, but um, stipulated that Tanya Thick would be able to live on, I guess, until she oh, dies. Oh, she had a life estate. Yes, and so she's responsible for kind of like keep upkeeping it. Um, she, I think, was concerned about um, the money she was going to have to put into making improvements to the ranch and like getting some mm -hmm. kind of benefit from the thick sons um, for that but the Robin and Brennan are arguing that she's trying to invalidate the prenuptial agreement she has said she's not attempting to do that oh. um, but what apparently led to this lawsuit was um, Robin and Brennan I guess want to use the property according to Tanya Thick to start a pot plantation <laughs> um, and she said no <laughs> and so now they are suing her um, she has, uh, said, you know, it was never her intention for this to become public. Mm -hmm. You know, she wanted to settle this as kind of a quiet family matter. And now these, the two sons are trying to shame her and embarrass her publicly. Um, and, uh, apparently it's the, the ranch is not just in the names of Robin and Brennan Thick, but also Alan Thick's youngest son with Tanya. Oh. So it's supposed to be split into three shares. Oh, interesting. Um, I can't, I think... I want to say Carter Thick, who is the youngest kid. Um, I think he's like nineteen, so oh, he is so he's not of like age, a little so, kid. Yeah, because um, when you were saying he was playing ice hockey with his youngest son, I was thinking like a little twelve-year-old skating around. But yeah, no, I believe he's a, a teenager, age. if not an older teenager. Um, and she is uh, his, you know, wife was much younger than he was, and. Um, you know, she was bequeathed certain assets, but um, mm -hmm. a really substantial part of his estate was left to his kids, and that was how the prenup worked. And now um, the Robin and Brennan are trying to turn this into a invalidation of the prenup issue where she's saying that's not really what her argument is. So she could, because she has a life estate mm -hmm. on this ranch, she could, like, forfeit that, right, and just say, I don't want it, and you're basically getting this property sooner than upon my death. Is that... What that's a possibility would, what you could possibly do sure she could just walk away from yeah. it and say this you know fine take it over mm -hmm. turn it into your pot farm <laughs> yes that's right and yeah i guess hers to the extent her son was kind of on her side carter with the whole, yes carter mm -hmm. with the whole thing um you know he only has a one-third interest in the property so i'm not i mean in business he would be screwed if the other two were gonna vote yeah together they would have a majority block. yeah mm -hmm. um but of course it's not clear what her son was planning on doing so interesting uh, well, yeah alan thick even though he's been gone for a while he's not ever really gone no he's just ubiquitous yes um I'm trying to confirm how old his youngest son is. Oh. 19 sounds very familiar, but I could be making that up. Well, while you're doing yes, the confirmation. Yes, we can move on to our next. So our next and last uh, story of our three-minute warning is that Demi Moore has been, uh, she's not been named as a defendant. What was she? She was joined as a defendant? Yes, she was joined as a defendant from a wrongful death lawsuit uh, stemming from a 2015 incident where um, it, it's, seems like her assistant 
was having a party at a home that she either owned or rented and during the course of this party a 21-ish year old man uh, allegedly tripped on some rocks and fell into the pool uh, allegedly this young man did not know how to swim he ended up drowning in the pool um, and his parents have recently filed a wrongful death suit against the trust that owns the home um, the assistant and Demi Moore has been named as a defendant. Demi Moore was not at the home at the time of the death, but some of the um, but some of the uh, allegations in the complaint are that the pool was too deep, the pool was too warm, and that there were the, rocks near the pool that made it a tripping and it falling was a hazard. And hazard. Yeah. Um, and that I guess because they were serving alcohol at the party, that kind of compounded everything. Mm, yes, I think the the heat part, right? Yes. Home, yeah. Um, so, uh, what's kind of odd about the whole story is that this the young man who died apparently was telling all these people like I don't know how to swim, so why? I guess there is the I guess would the argument be that they were serving alcohol. He got drunk and didn't know what happened and fell into the pool. Mm -hmm. Like, if you don't know how to swim, why are you wandering? Why are you drunk wandering around a swimming pool? That's like, very true. My other question is like, why did no one jump in to save him? Like, well, apparently he fell in after everyone had left. Oh, that's okay. the story. Is that like most of the? It was a small party. Most of the people left at some mm -hmm. point in the evening. They came back and found him floating in the oh, pool. Oh, got it. Um. Which, I mean, to your point, like, why did they leave some random guy at mm -hmm. Demi Moore's house? Her caretaker sounds like a real <laughs> mess. Um, yeah, but just to leave him there, and yeah. if he had been drinking, like, I don't know. At, but at some point, though, like, you're kind of an adult, and you assume some risks, right? Yeah. To like, me, like, if Don't you... get shit-faced and walk around a pool when you don't know how to swim. Exactly. I mean, probably you shouldn't do that even if you do know how to swim, but... That's, yes. But, I mean, the idea that the pool was was it uncommonly deep was that the phrase That's, or was... uh yes and i i don't understand how the pool excessively deep oh, excessively deep and how the hell a giant swimming pool i'm just assuming it was a big pool got up to 101 degrees I mean, that's like, that's a hot tub. Yeah, heat, that is right? pretty much, yeah. That's way beyond bathwater, I think. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, how did that happen? I'm not really sure. I mean, I guess they live in LA, like it's sunny, but still. Yeah, maybe their solar panels were on overdrive, but it was only 10, it was only 10 feet deep. So I do right, not believe that's, that's excessively deep. To me, excessively deep is the- like 20 feet or something. Yeah, the pools that they use in Olympic diving. Oh, sure. <laughs> right? You basically drop in there and you keep going for like 25 feet and then you pop back up. 10 feet is not excessively deep. That's probably pretty- No, that's like a foot deeper than the pool at the Y that I used to swim at when I was a little kid. Yeah, and I think probably between eight and 12 feet is probably standard for like backyard pools. I don't think so, yeah. yeah. I don't know, but excessively deep. Um, you know, he- if he was in the condition that maybe that he might have been in, I don't know that it would have mattered if it was five feet deep. Like if you're well, gonna, you can, would have fallen and broken his neck yeah, then. Well, exactly. Or you can drown in a puddle of water, so it doesn't. Yes. Like, right? <laughs> so yeah, so it's it's kind of a weird suit, and I I understand that his parents are probably very traumatized and very upset because they lost their son, and I'm very sympathetic to that, but. I don't know, excessively deep, excessively warm, and rocks are tripping hazards. It's tough for me. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a very sad story, and mm -hmm. I think they're probably looking for someone to blame, and these are the people they can blame. Yeah, and, you know, I get that, because you don't want it to be senseless. You don't want it to be your kids drinking. And I know, what an awful way to die. Like, my kid got drunk and fell in a pool and died. Mm -hmm. Like, Yeah, that's, no, that's, that's pretty terrible. Yeah. To circle back to the Alan Thicke story, oh, yes. I was wrong. His youngest son is not a child with this current wife. Oh. He was married. So Robin Thicke and Brennan Thicke are um, his children with a soap actress named Gloria Loring, who was famous in the 80s. Yes. Uh, she helped sing the theme song to Growing Pains. Or maybe she helped write it. That's the only thing. Yeah, because Alan Thicke wrote it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so then he married... After he divorced her, he dated Christy Swanson of Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV Get show fan. out! When she was 17. Oh my god! And then he, they got engaged. He was 42 at that time. Oh. Um, 
they didn't get married. Oh. He then married uh, Miss World 1990, Gina Tolleson, and that is Carter Thicke's mother. Okay. She is Carter Thicke's mother. So he but has no children with the, the widow. The current. Oh, right. interesting. They were only married. They are married for about 12 years before he passed away. Got it. Um, and he was 69 and she was 41 for whatever that's worth. Yeah. So Rufio's back in case um, you've heard the heavy breathing. That was... That's not us being creepy and <laughs> yes, weird. exactly. Um, um, so anyway, so that's the that's the oh. clarification on Alan Thicke. Um, but so is he nineteen? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, so th yeah, it's just a that's unfortunate story. But now she probably has no children who are going to stick up for her interests. So um, I guess. But it does. I mean, from what she said, though, she doesn't really sound like she has a particular interest. She just doesn't want to spend money on this like property right and i think she doesn't she has some concerns about seeing it turned into to a, a pot, pot plantation yeah <laughs> um so uh oh, it's highly lucrative now yeah you would think mm -hmm. and i mean yes. it's been um decriminalized in california so you know soon i think it what 2018 they can sell it for recreational purposes i believe so um, so. so yeah and it's medicinal available for medicinal use now there's a giant billboard um, on my drive between the East Bay and San Francisco for um, an edibles company that has a cow with an eye in the middle of its head, <laughs> uh, which I get distracted by every time I'm driving along. There is a dispensary uh, not that far from actually where we both live now, and I was on passing by on the bus one day, and it looked really very... Um, it looked really cute from the outside. <laughs> it kind of looked like a coffee bar, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then I looked, and like, Harvest... That's not a coffee shop name. <laughs> no. Um, there's a dispensary in Oakland called Magnolia, which is the name of a very famous bakery in New York. York. Yeah. It's just confusing. It is confusing. Um, so I want to go have coffee, but that's not the kind of coffee that they're... No. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if she could work out a deal where they give her a percentage of the pot of the income. Well... I worry that Robin Thicke would use his own product, though, and that, I learned from The Wire, is never a good idea. No, no it is not. Um, she might... I mean, I don't know what her opposition is, aside from... Um, the, I mean, does she not want it turned into a pot farm because she's opposed to legalized marijuana? Maybe. Or, like... So, you know, maybe she doesn't want a percentage of the income. Who knows? Mm. This is... This is beyond our, our capabilities at this point. No, but I guess it's good that Robin Thicke found something to focus on other than bugging his ex-wife, so... Yeah, that's um, they've been kind of quiet, which is nice. They have been. Um, so, yeah, I guess he's... Things have quieted down on that front. Well, um, only for him to be embroiled in this one, so... Right. Yeah. Um, so, basically, that's what we have for you this time around. Yes, yeah, so thank you for listening. Um, if you want to connect with us on social media, I don't have my handy-dandy little cheat sheet in front of me, <laughs> but um, you can catch us on Instagram at and Twitter at UFR underscore BG. Um, you can reach us by email at underfurtherreview.bg at gmail.com, and you can um, check out our website under further review dash bg.com um and there have been some developments in the baylor uh rape situation which we um, decided not to talk about today mostly because we're tired of having to talk about those shitheads down in <laughs> texas um but i we may post something on the blog Ooh, about that by nice. we i mean i uh, <laughs> i have a lot of thoughts and feelings about it but nothing that i should probably be vocalizing <laughs> since it'll just turn into me shouting at you poor <laughs> listeners um so anyway um, please yeah. check all that stuff out. And, uh, if you have any questions for us, you can always email us. We love our reader, listener mail. Our listener mail. And really anything you can do to put a review on oh. iTunes would be greatly appreciated. Um, we appreciate most things positive, but if you have a, you know, a constructive criticism that you want to send to us, feel free to email us. But any time you can put a review up, that would be great. Um, so thanks everyone for listening and we'll um, talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.